mean, we have really got to look at our budget for this next month, especially with the holidays coming up. We went way over. Cheryl, how do you even spend $50 at Chick-fil-A? We've got Christmas coming. We've got to get this thing under control. No more spending, okay? No more spending. Honey, what you doing? Nothing. Just looking. What you looking at? Pictures. Oh. Yes. I'll take one. I'll take two. Oh, yeah. That is perfect for the kids. Huh. Didn't even know I needed that one. Oh, yeah. Let's get that in Packages? You didn't? Hmm. Cheryl Gettings? Got a package here for you. And this one says Michael Gettings. Here you go. Here's your packages. <laughs> Edit it again, I guess. I'm so glad I have my parents' passwords. This is going to be a great Christmas gift. Stephen from Northside Delivery. Guess what? Here's the car that you purchased. This is right. It's your car. Merry Christmas to you. See ya. Uh -oh. Mom, Dad, I may or may not have bought a car. Well, if you have your Bible, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to two passages of Scripture, Malachi in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament, and then Matthew in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 23. Malachi 3, Matthew 23. We're going to start with Malachi 3, we're going to go to Malachi 23, and then we're going to come back to Malachi 3. Now, in 40 years of preaching, I've seen and heard a whole lot of things that I will never forget. Two of the things that are etched in my mind that I will never forget had to do when I was preaching on giving, on money. I wish I could forget them, but I'll never forget them. The first one occurred when I was 28 years old. I was pastoring in the upstate, and I had preached a message on tithing. And to be honest with you, it was probably a little harsh, the message that I preached. And after the sermon... This older man in our church, he was a deacon, and, and he was probably the wealthiest man in our town, came up to me, and he said, Pastor, that was a really good sermon, but I still don't agree with you on tithing. Now, the message I preached, if he didn't agree with me on tithing, he couldn't have enjoyed it, but that's what he said. And so I said to him, Brother so-and-so, I said, I'm convinced that I'm never going to convince you that the Bible teaches tithing. But 
because you were a deacon, you've made a commitment to tithe. You see, we as a church had, had passed these leadership qualifications, these things that, that we believed a leader needed to abide by, live by, if they were going to be a leader in the church. And one of them was we believed that any leader needed to tithe. And this man said, Pastor, I've never made that commitment. And I said, Brother so-and-so, you mean that, that you agreed to be a deacon you saw our policy, and yet you didn't agree to tithe. He said, I've never agreed to tithe. Well, because of that, and because we had a church policy, we had to vote as a church to remove him as a deacon. And let me tell you, it was ugly. 80% of our church voted to remove him, but it was ugly. I got nasty letters in the mail I was walking down the hall in church one morning and got cussed out. I mean, it was, it was ugly. Those were wild and crazy times. That was the first memory. The second memory occurred when I was pastoring in Florida, and I was preaching on giving again and preaching from Malachi chapter 3. I hope this doesn't happen this morning. But I was preaching from Malachi 3, and, and I was reading the passage, and, and I was reading the passage where it says, you are under a curse. And when I got to curse, all of a sudden, I heard this stomping, and there was this man, a large man, who had gotten up. He was very active in our church. He had gotten up. He was stomping down the aisle. He got to the front door. He opened up the door. It was one of those shotgun-style, you know, auditoriums. He opened up the front door, went out the door, and slammed the door behind him. Well, his wife was still sitting there in church. His three kids were still sitting there in church. It was kind of an awkward moment. Well, I continued to preach. We got through with the message, and, and after the service, he was sitting there in the parking lot. And this one has a happy end. And I went up to him and said, brother, what happened? And he said, well, when you read that passage, man, I got angry because I was under conviction. And I just stomped out. I came and sat in my car. And as I sat in my car, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. And man, I know that I've been living in disobedience. I know I live, need to tithe. And he started walking in obedience. And today, two of his sons are pastoring one of the fastest growing churches in Florida. For the last three weeks, we've been talking about money management made simple. And the first principle we talked about was live within your means. You don't spend what you don't have. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But it's amazing how many people don't follow that simple principle. You've got to live within your means. You can't spend what you don't have. The second principle is we have to save for the future. You see, we save a little bit of money that we have now so that we are prepared for what may happen later on. And if we do that, then when emergencies happen or difficult times happen or we get to that age of retirement, we're prepared for that. We're ready for that. But today I want us to talk about what I believe is the most important money management principle. And that is we need to give back to God. You see, I believe with all my heart that when we give back to God obediently, willfully, cheerfully, it 
opens up heaven's doors for God to bless us. Now, I want you to hear me. We don't give back to God so that we will be blessed. We give back to God because we want to be obedient to God. But when we do give back to God, God chooses to bless us. And I could give you story after story after story of how over 40 years of marriage, God has worked in our lives as a family and blessed us because we have chosen to walk in obedience and give back to God. And so this morning, as we unpack this, this, this principle, money management principle on giving back to God, I want to share three truths with you. The first one is a principle. And here's the principle. The tithe is the starting point of obedient giving. Let me say that again. The tithe is the starting point of obedient giving. I want you to listen to what it says in Malachi chapter 3 beginning in verse 7. It says, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? And then God says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And then God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so that there will be food in my temple. Now let me give you a little bit of background, if I can. If your Bibles are open to Malachi chapter 3, God is speaking directly to his people, the nation of Israel. And he begins in chapter 1 with telling us about Jesus' first coming and his second coming. The first coming of Jesus was for salvation, to bring salvation to anyone and everyone who will come to him, who will turn to him, who will repent in faith and and accept the gift of salvation. But the second time that Jesus comes, he is coming to judge the world. And then in verse 2, it tells us something of that judgment. It says that his judgment will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or a strong soap that bleaches clothes. You see, the word of God teaches that every one of us must appear before the judgment seat of God. Some people have this idea that if we're saved, we won't have to appear before the judgment seat of God, but we will. The Bible says that the fire of God will burn everything away in our lives that is not worthy of heaven. The Bible speaks of it as wood and hay and stubble. And and all of those things will be burned away as we are judged by God before we enter into his presence. Now, as you look at verse 5, you see some of the things that he will judge when he comes the second time. It says that he will judge sorcerers, those who worship other gods. It says that he will judge adulterers, the, the sexually impure. He will judge liars. You know what? That means, and he will judge those who cheat others. Those who cheat the people who work for them, who cheat widows, who cheat orphans, who cheat foreigners who live among them. All of those behaviors are are clearly prohibited in God's word. And then in verse 6, we read something that should speak to us directly today. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. 
You see, God is no different today than when he dealt with Israel. And he is no different today than he will sit on that throne at that last judgment. Now, this is important for us because there are some that have this idea that God is evolving in how he deals with us. But you need to understand that God's character never changes. And God's standards never change. The things that God opposed under the law of Moses, he opposed in Malachi's day. And the things that he opposed in Malachi's day, he opposes in our day today. Sin will always be sin. And we can rationalize it, we can wash it up, we can give it a new name, but sin is still sin. And the people of Israel were living in rebellion against God. They were not following God's decrees. They were not following God's commands. Now, they were disobeying in a variety of ways, but then God kind of zeroes in on one area to deal with their rebellion. And the one area that he deals with is is in the area of their giving. God said that his people were robbing him. He even called them thieves. Now, how would you feel if someone called you a thief? I mean, they looked you in the eye and said, you're a thief. I I, I can tell you right now that I believe if someone accused you of being a thief, you would react in one of two ways. You would either be very angry that you were accused or you would be convicted because you were guilty. There's really only one of two ways to respond to there. When I was a young teenager, 13 years of age, I was accused of stealing something. I was at the beach, and, and I was at Spring Made Pier in Myrtle Beach. And back in that day, they had a little store at the entrance of the pier, and, and I was in that store, and when I walked out, Someone that worked in that store followed me out and said, stop, you took something. Well, I didn't take anything. And when I got accused of that, man, I got angry. And I opened up my pockets and I said, look, there's nothing in my pockets. I haven't taken anything. And I took my shirt off. It was summer. And I took my shirt off and said, see, I don't have anything. Apologize to me. I was upset. But can you imagine if it's God who is calling you a thief? Because that's what God is doing in this passage. He's calling his people, the nation of Israel, thieves. And he says, the reason you're thieves is because you're robbing me of my tithes and my offerings. And he says, because of that, your entire nation is under a curse. You see, I believe the Bible teaches that when we with Hold the tithe from God, it can put us under a curse. But it not only puts us under a curse, it puts our family under a curse. If we're a child of God and we're a part of a church, it can put our whole church under a curse. And God is saying when we keep the tithe, we're invoking God's curse. Now, why of all the sins that God could have pointed out, did he point out this one sin? I mean, because he could have pointed out adultery, he could have pointed out lying, he could have pointed out murder, he could have pointed out a host of things that a number of the people were guilty of, but he pointed this one thing out. Why did he do this? 
I believe the answer is found in Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. In the Living Bible, it says it this way. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. You, you see, the reason tithing is such a big deal is because failing to tithe is a symptom of a more serious problem. Failing to tithe is a symptom of a heart problem. Jesus said it this way in the New Testament. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be as well. You see how we spend our money, how we give our money, what we do with our money reveals where our heart is. Make no mistake. If you aren't tithing, you're disobeying God. You're out of God's will for your life. Now, notice what he says here. God tells us the amount that we're to give. He says we're to give a tithe. Now, some people think a tithe just means that I, I give regularly. And so what that means is when I leave on Sunday morning, I take some money out of my pocket. It may be a dollar. It may be a $20 bill. Whatever it is, I take the money and I put it in the, in the um, box and I, I give it. But a tithe doesn't mean that I'm just giving regularly. A, a tithe is an accounting term. The word tithe literally means 10%. That's what the word means. And so if I make $100, it means I give $10. If I make $1,000, it means I give $100. If I make $10,000, it means I give $1,000. A tithe is 10%. And from the earliest pages of the Bible, the tithe was the starting point of obedient giving. In Leviticus 27, verse 20, it says, A tithe of everything, a tithe of everything, belongs to the Lord. That means the first dime of every dollar is to be given back to the Lord. Now, some will say, well, the tithe is under the law, but I would disagree with you on that. You see, I believe the Bible teaches that the tithe came well before the law. It came under Abraham when Abraham tithed to the priest of God, Melchizedek. The law simply continued the tithe. And Jesus even built on the tithe. Do you remember how when Jesus was dealing with the law, he always took the law a step further than the written law went because he was telling what God actually was dealing with, and that was the heart of man? Do you remember what he did? Jesus said, you've heard it said, said do not kill. But I say to you, if you have anger in your heart toward your brother, you've already violated the law. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look at a woman in lust, you've already broken the law. You see, Jesus didn't take the law and make it easier. Jesus took the law and built upon it. You see, I'm convinced with all my heart that our love for God will compel us to do far more than the law of God could ever command us to do. Understand, the tithe is not the stopping point in our giving. It's the starting point. The tithe is not the ceiling that we go to. It is the floor that we stand on. The tithe is not the maximum that we give. The tithe is the minimum that we give. But I want you to look back at this passage, if you will. It says that we're robbing God of tithes and, and what does it say? Tithes and offerings. 
You see, the Bible speaks of tithes, that's 10%, and then it speaks of offerings. Now, the offering in the Hebrew there means to raise up, to lift, to exalt. And given in this form, it means a sacrificial gift, something that requires sacrifice over and above the tithe. You see, the tithe is what God's law demanded. The offering is what God's love deserved. And so I would ask you this morning, are you tithing? Are you giving an offering to God? But then notice the place we are to give. The Bible says we're to bring the whole tithe, all the tithe, to the storehouse. Now, the storehouse was simply a room of the temple where the tithes were stored until they were used. And so the storehouse was part of the temple of God. And you say, well, Rocky, what does that have to do with us today? Well, I believe that the storehouse in the Old Testament would refer to the church in the New Testament. I want you to listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11. It says, you must bring everything I command you. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship, to the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. And so the Bible says in the Old Testament, we bring all of our tithes and our offerings to the place where we worship, the place where God's name is to be honored. And I would say to you that in the New Testament, that would be the local church that we are a part of. And then he tells us the reason that we give. He says that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. You see, whenever we withhold our tithe, we are keeping our church from being able to do all that God desires for us to do. Tithing is the way that we finance the mission of the church. Now listen to me. I am so thankful that Northside is filled with many generous, faithful, obedient givers. But think what would happen if everyone who says they're a Christian, who calls Northside their home, would begin to tithe. How much more would we able to be able to do locally to minister to our community? How much more would we be able to do to reach the world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, the tithe is the starting point of obedient giving. But that takes me to the second thing I want us to see, and that's the problem. You see, we can tithe and still not have a heart that is fully devoted to God. Now, if you don't have your finger there, just turn over to Matthew 23. In verses 23 and 24, that's what I want to read. But in Matthew 23, Jesus is, is talking to these religious leaders and he's pointing out all the hypocrisy in their life. And in verse 23, he says this. He said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat. 
but you swallow a camel. Now, I want you to go back to what Jesus said there. Look at it on the screen. He says you're ignoring these more important aspects of, of the law. Justice and mercy, being merciful to people. Faith, living your life by faith. And then he says this, you should tithe. I want you to read that. What does it say? You should tithe. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, you should tithe. That's what Jesus said. And then he said, yes. In other words, what he's saying is you should tithe. Yes, you should tithe. But don't neglect these other things. You see, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day, they were being hypocrites because they were going through the religious motions. But their heart had never changed toward God. And it's so easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to check off a box. I tithe. Came to life group. Came to worship. I read my Bible daily. I studied my lesson. Back in the day, we had those things that we could check off on our offering envelopes. And we would check them off. But it's so easy to check off a box and never have your heart changed. You see, Jesus is saying that you need to tithe. Follow the example of the Pharisees in that regard. But don't follow their example in the important things because their heart is not right. And we can see their heart is not right because they're neglecting justice, being fair with people. They're not showing mercy. The mercy that we so desperately need from God, we don't show to others. And we talk about faith, but we're not living by faith. You see, dear brothers and sisters, I'm not telling you today to tithe. I'm telling you to get your heart right with God. And if your heart is right with God, you will tithe. Why? Because Jesus said, tithe he said it right here and then finally notice the promise when we tithe God will pour out his blessings now I want to just pause right here for just a moment oh listen to me Sherry and I have been married for 40 years we know what it is to have nothing and we know what it is to have plenty. And in all those years, we believe that we have experienced the hand of God's blessing because we've been obedient. And I'm just here to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you want to live with the hand of God's blessing on your life, then you need to live in obedience to God. Listen to what God's word says here, beginning in the middle part of verse 10. God says, if you do, he's talking about tithing. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. 
Your grapes will not fail from the vine, fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's army. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, God is speaking in terms of agriculture. And agriculture equaled money in that day. And so if your crops were not diseased, if your crops were not eaten by insects, that was a blessing from God. If your grapes were not falling off the vine early, that was a blessing from God. And God says, I will pour out my blessings on you. Now, there are two Hebrew words for blessing used in the Old Testament. The first Hebrew word is the word esher. It's a word that means happiness. But it's not a happiness that is dependent upon our circumstances. It's not a happiness that's dependent upon our situation, what's happening in our life. It's not an emotion. Esher happiness is a happiness that's independent of what is happening in our life. It's a happiness that transcends what's taking place in the world. It's a happiness that literally I think you would describe as joy that is there regardless of what is happening in our life. Now, who would want that kind of happiness? I do. I want, well, if you don't, you're crazy. You're crazy. I think everybody wants that kind of happiness. But that's not what he's talking about here. It's not the word that's used here. The word that is used here is the Greek word barak. And the Greek word barak means God's hand of favor intervening in our lives. That's what the word means. God's blessing is his hand of favor intervening in our lives. Robert Morris said it this way. He said it's having God's supernatural power working for you. So when God pours out his blessings on you from heaven, it means God's supernatural power is coming to work in your life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. He said, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share it with others. And then God says, test me in this. Brothers and sisters, did you know that this is the only place in Scripture where God says, test me? It's the only place. Now, Gideon tested God, but God didn't tell him to. Gideon just did it. This is the only place in Scripture where God says, put me to the test. God is saying, if you don't believe me, try it. John Templeton, who was the mutual fund genius, once said, in all my 52 years before I retired as an investment counselor, there's only one investment which never proved faulty, and that was tithing. Listen, if this verse is true, and it is, the only reason not to tithe is because you don't believe God. You don't trust God. You see, tithing isn't a matter of finances, how much money you have in the bank. Tithing is a matter of faith. Do you trust God? I've heard people say before, I can't afford to tithe. And I would say to you this morning, if you want God's hand of blessing on your life, you can't afford not to tithe. I heard about a church member who was having trouble with this whole concept of tithing, and he came to his pastor and said, Pastor, 
I'm too far in debt to tithe. I just can't do it. And the pastor said, John, if I promise to make up any difference in your bills if you have a shortfall, will you try it for a month? And John said, well, pastor, if you're willing to make up any shortfall I have, I'll try it. And then the pastor looked John in the eye and said, John, you're willing to trust me when I don't have anything? And yet you're not willing to trust God who has everything? Years ago, I heard about a church in Oklahoma, a true story, that promised their members, if you give 10% of your income for one year, you tie, you really tie for one year and you aren't blessed, we'll refund your money. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you really tithe, give 10% of your income for one year and you aren't blessed, you can write that church in Oklahoma and they'll refund you money. <laughs> now, and I'm not going to give you a test. And the reason I'm not going to give you a test is because God already has. He said, put me to the test. And see if I'll not open up the windows of heaven and pour out my blessings upon you. Now, I want to reiterate something I said earlier. You don't tithe to get God's blessings. If you do, I'm not sure you're going to get them. But if you tithe because you love God and you're desiring to walk in obedience, I can promise you God's going to bless you. You see, if you tithe and your heart's not right, don't expect God to bless. But if you tithe because your heart is right, God's going to bless you more than you could ever possibly imagine. And he says, put me to the test. Trust me. Try me. And let me prove that I'll do what I said. So what do we need to do this morning? Well, first of all, we need to look at our heart. And what I would say to you this morning is this. If you're a little bit perturbed, if you're a little bit angry, if you're a little bit upset at something I've said, your heart's not right. Because all I did was preach Scripture. And so you need to look at your heart and see if your heart is right with God. This is not first and foremost about you getting your money right. It's about you getting your heart right and your money will follow. Search your heart. Put your heart on the altar. and Let God examine it. And then once you do that, I challenge you, trust God, walk in obedience, and see God come through in ways that you never thought were possible. Father God, 
my only desire this morning is that your people will experience your hand of blessing like we have. Lord God, you've proved faithful. You've proved true time and time and time again. I believe with all my heart, you want to prove yourself true to people all over this room today. So Lord, expose our hearts. Open our eyes. Lord, just help us to be willing to be obedient to what you say. And I pray this in Jesus' name.